This episode of EM Weekly has been archived. The ideas presented by the former host of EM Weekly may not reflect or represent the values of the Readiness Lab and the Doberman Emergency Management Group. Out of respect for the guests who contributed to this episode, it remains available online. EM Weekly starting right now, bringing emergency managers from around the world together to learn, share and collaborate. Welcome to the Ian Weekly Show. This is your host, Todd DeVoe with Dan Scott. And today we have Dr. Kelly Garrett from EMI. And uh, Dr. Garrett, he serves as the Director of Emergency Management Professional Program, um, like I said, at EMI. And his role is he, he leads a staff of six people to provide programming and curriculum oversight, collaboration, and coordination between the basic, advanced, and executive academies within the Emergency Management Professional Preparedness Pro- Branch. So, uh, Kelly, welcome to Ian Weekly. Thank you, Todd. Glad to be here. Morning, Dr. Garrett. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks, Dan. It's my pleasure. So, Dr. Garrett, what's going on? What's going on over uh, at uh, at EMI? Well, as you can imagine, Todd, the the big thing is the impact of the COVID nineteen pandemic. Uh, it's kind of wreaked havoc on, for our on-campus delivery schedule for this fiscal year, uh, primarily because a large portion of our students are involved in the response and recovery and managing of the disaster in their local communities, but also because FEMA's top priority remains the health and safety of employees, instructors, students, and visitors to our campus. So given the recent increase in activity and spread of COVID-19, uh, our leadership felt it was prudent to suspend on-campus activities through September 30th of this year. So that's kind of required us to postpone all of our academy courses into the next fiscal year and and probably after the first of the calendar year just to be safe. So does that mean all your state offerings and anything that was, that was on the calendar is, is no longer on the calendar until next fiscal? No, that's, that's a great question, Dan. Uh, with field deliveries, uh, We've recommended postponing those, but we're still leaving it up to the individual states to make that decision. So if a state does want to host a course, there is an approval process that goes through our deputy superintendent and superintendent um, and actually as high as the FEMA administrator to make the final decision. Because, again, the the safety and and health and well-being of our students and our our training partners is, is paramount. So based on each individual state and the situation regarding COVID within that state factors in to that decision. Uh, but I, I can share with you that right now there are travel restrictions for FEMA employees, uh, especially at EMI and also our contract instructors. Um, so if a state is going to host a delivery and provide their own instructors, there's a possibility that state will still be able to conduct that, that course. But if we're supporting it, by providing contract instructors or FEMA employees, then we may need to reschedule that on, until next year. It's kind of a weird question. I know that not really necessarily in your area of responsibility, but at EMI, when you guys reopen um, with the housing, and I know we automatic, we already do sleep in our own uh, quarters when we're over there, but the, the cleanliness and the, and the cleaning and that process that uh, hotels are going through and also colleges are going through when they, move students through. Is there going to be a new check-in, check-out process uh, through the housing over there, do you know? Uh, I think it's very likely that 
will be, Todd. I know that during uh, the time that we've all been teleworking and not been on campus lit for the last four months, uh, the cleaning crew has continued to clean all of the buildings and service all of the buildings. Uh, there have been new uh, cleaning procedures put in place to make certain that um, it can mitigate the effects of COVID-19. Uh, for instance, to gain access to campus, whether someone is an employee or a visitor or a student, uh, the first thing that happens is a temperature check. And anyone uh, that has a, a higher than normal temperature or is running a fever would be denied access to campus. Uh, wearing of masks and social distancing is required at all times. And we're reducing the capacity of the number of co- when we get to on-campus courses, we're reducing the capacity of the courses and the number of students that are allowed on campus at any given time, simply so we can maintain social distancing. Uh, and from a practical standpoint, we've got to be able to feed all the students that are on campus. So we've got to make certain we can social distance in the cafeteria. And uh, and I know that uh, the National Emergency Training Center group that runs a campus for us has worked through a plan on how to safely do that. So all of those things will be implemented and students would be advised of that well before we reopen a campus for on-campus deliveries. Well, that's a good point. I didn't even think about the, the cafeteria because, I mean, it's pretty much, uh, you know, salad bars, if you will. And, and those are kind of been shunned right now because of COVID. That's, that's, yeah. good. that's a good point. So we're not here necessarily to talk about food and also, you know, sleeping in the campus. I mean, that's that's neat stuff and it's a lot of fun. But let's talk about um, the emergency management uh, education that's going on. Um, and the programs, I know there's been some changes in the programs a little bit and, and we, you know, obviously with COVID, there's going to be some more changes going on. What is the future of your programs that you have the basic Academy, the advanced Academy and the executive Academy? Uh, That's a great question, Todd. And and thanks for asking it. You know, we've developed and grown our programs over the past few years to really be focused on being student led and instructor facilitated And they're aligned to the core competencies of future emergency management leaders. And a lot of that is the students being able to share experiences with each other in a classroom environment, to have uh, in-depth discussions on those experiences, to build networks and establish a community of stakeholders. Uh, Because it's really nice if uh, everybody shows up to respond to disaster and they know each other and they're not meeting and exchanging business cards for the first time. So we understand that's the real value of our programs and we don't, don't want to lose that, which is one of the reasons why we've tried to postpone the remainder of this year's schedule into next year so that it gives us the time and space to be able to make the best decisions on how we might be able to transition any of our curriculum into a, a virtual environment. Because that's one thing that um, has become very apparent during the pandemic is that we really do need to have some sort of virtual delivery capability going forward but we want to make certain that we do it the right way because it's just not a matter of throwing up some information or some PowerPoint slides in an online forum and saying, okay, students, here it is, take a look at this, and hopefully you'll learn something. Now, we want to be able to replicate whatever we move into the virtual environment uh, to have that look as much as and feel as much like the classroom experience as possible. So we're looking at which parts of our curriculum would best lend itself to being delivered in a virtual capacity and what really needs to remain in the classroom environment so we can still continue to build that community of stakeholders across the profession. 
So that's, a, I mean, that's a good point. I know that the, uh, so your basic academy, so I've watched, I've watched the, the academies change over the last five years quite a bit. And the basic academy went from a four week to a three week, um, with a lot of the, um, to cut out some of the, um, in class time coming from, uh, some of the I, the IS uh, courses that are offered on, uh, EMI's uh, website, the independent study courses. So is that kind of the, the avenue you're going or is that something uh, or you're going to try to go into something to addition to that? Uh, it would be an addition to that, Dan. And, and that's a great point that you made about the basic academy. And the impetus behind that was when we did a curriculum review, we found that um, there were so many hours and it actually turned out to be about a total of 40 hours across the two weeks of the foundations course that the content and the time spent was very similar to the content and the amount of time spent in the independent study courses in our professional development series courses. So rather than expecting students to duplicate effort or to spend time in class for something that could be adequately learned in a different methodology, we decided to make those uh, professional development series independent study courses the prerequisites for the foundations course and then redesigned the second resident phase of the foundations course to begin on the very first day with um, project teams of reviewing and assessing what they learn in the independent study courses as a prerequisite so that we can do a check on learning and they have the opportunity to apply that learning throughout the remainder of that week, building to a capstone exercise at the end of the week. So again, we get the, focus on competency-based performance and that the students can demonstrate what they've learned rather than just leaving them in an environment where they can complete a course. And frankly, part of the other consideration for that is if we look at the EMPG grant funding training requirement language, completing the professional development series is a requirement for completing or qualifying for the EMPG grants. So again, our thought was rather than requiring students to complete the PDS and then come and go through two weeks of the foundations course, we'll make those courses the prerequisite for the first week of the foundations course. And then you only have to come and spend those 40 hours in the residency to be able to actually complete the foundations course and then move on to the rest of the basic Academy. Um, with the advanced and executive academies, um, we would really stay away from independent study courses but really focus more on using a graduate level model with facilitated um, synchronous virtual learning uh, using some sort of learning management system. And I know that we're considering a couple of different uh, possibilities for that at EMI, but we're not quite ready to launch. But once we know what our learning management system is, then as I mentioned earlier, we can identify those parts of our curriculum that make sense that can be facilitated in a virtual environment and use those as the baseline learning to lead up to bringing the students into uh, the face-to-face -face classroom environment for that shared experience of learning with each other. Yeah, that's one of the things I love about EMI in, in general is that it's continuing to change, continuing to grow, and it's it looks at the, the basically the the higher ed portion of how do we educate people um, in in becoming emergency managers and continuing to be a great emergency managers and how do they continue to self um, self grow in professional development. So I think it's, it's great to hear. And one of the other considerations too, is that we do get American council and education accreditation for all of our courses. So anything that we would do to modify or adjust the courses going forward, we need to make certain we're consistent with that certification because we certainly don't want to lose that. 
Um, plus, we're really closely associated with the International Association of Emergency Managers Certified Emergency Management Credential. Uh, we've done an educational crosswalk with the Board of uh, Commissioners at IAEM, and we want to make certain that we're able to remain closely aligned in meeting those requirements as well. So all of those things factor into our considerations as we review curriculum and uh, evolve our courses as we go forward, because we're very proud of the way we've been able to accomplish those things, and we don't want to disrupt that at all. Well, Kelly, that was a great segue for me because my question was about IEM. Um, I was actually on a conference call yesterday, and we were discussing some of the basically the conference. And, and uh, uh, for, as far as I know, the the conference um, is not going to happen uh, in in November. Um, and so, the, some of the questions came out of this was um, CEM specifically. How do people continuously get their 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 credits for the CEM for renewals and things like this? And that uh, you know, obviously your organization is, is very much leading the way in, in the professional education side of things. Um, what is that going to look like? I mean, how, how do students outside of doing the typical online um, independent study courses, how are they going to be able to get their, their credits to get their, to keep their CEM going if, if, if uh, you guys don't open back up? That's a great question, Todd. And, and quite frankly, that's something that we've considered, but we haven't developed a, a potential solution for that yet. Uh, I think that's one of the the advantages of making the decision to postpone on-campus deliveries between now and the end of the fiscal year, because we really needed to be able to buy ourselves the time and space to work through these considerations and come up with workable solutions that we could implement after the start of the fiscal year so that we could roll them out in the appropriate manner so that we are still aligned with the IAM certification and recertification requirements. We still have the AC valuation credit. Uh, we're able to deliver a valuable and a uh, student experience so that it doesn't degrade the learning as mm-hmm. well. Um, because it would be easy to default to saying, well, we're going to develop all these uh, independent study courses and just put them on the website and let people go through them. But that's not really what professional development education is all about. Right. Uh, so we want to, as I said, the, the big consideration is making certain that we're able to continue the student experience and, and the value of the programs so that uh, we're not degrading the, the equivalency when students go to apply for their recertification. And hopefully we'll be able to get started with that uh, before the end of the calendar year. I have a, a strange question. Um, so Core 8 was started, started January uh, obviously they, they've kind of gone, how are, how is that working now with that, with that group? Uh, have you guys moved to virtual or have they suspended? What's going on with that group? Um, and I'm sorry, which group was that again, Todd? I'm sorry. The, the, uh, uh, executive Academy. Oh, the executive Academy. Um, you know, the executive Academy is really our, our flagship program in the EMPP program. And, and we're really, we do one cohort a year. Um, on campus at EMI, and, and we really focus on only 40 students a year. Uh, so we're really protective of that program. And it's going to be difficult to really move that into the virtual environment simply because the way the program is structured, uh, it's built around bringing in high-quality guest faculty members to give presentations. Um, you know, This year before the, the COVID-19 affected us, we had people like uh, Dr. Dan Kanuski, who was a former administrator with FEMA, uh, coming in. Uh, Mr. Jeff Byard, who was a former uh, assistant administrator with FEMA, coming in as a guest presenter. 
Uh, we had uh, an executive academy graduate, uh, Miss uh, uh, Andrea Davis, uh, who is the global director of emergency management for Walmart Corporation now coming in as a presenter. Um, so we had some folks like that coming in, and it's very difficult to replicate that in a virtual environment. Mm-hmm. We could probably record their presentations and have them available to, to play, but we felt that by postponing the remainder of the Executive Academy until next spring gives us the opportunity to see what COVID looks like then, and then hopefully we can re-engage. Outstanding, and that makes a lot of sense, actually. So let's take a quick break, and when we come back, let's talk about you know each academy and what the requirements are. Seconds count during an emergency. That's why at Titan HST, we're always inventing new technology to help people stay safe and help people who can provide help get connected with people who need help. At Titan HST, we've deployed mesh networking, allowing emergency communication, even when networks are down, augmented reality, and real-time translation. We believe in the power of people to help each other stay safe and thrive. I'm so happy to be introducing our newest sponsor, VanQuest Tough Build Gear. VanQuest was founded with a simple mission. Build the toughest bags and packs for your everyday carry and help you stay organized and prepared. VanQuest has been making the ultra-durable bags and packs since 2011 right here in Orange County, California. And their bags and packs have been trusted by clients such as the FBI and the U.S. Secret Service and U.S. Special Operations Command. VanQuest bags and packs offer the best organization and user-friendly experience, such as high-visibility interior for users to find the essential gear quick. I'm telling you, that's such a great addition because I'm always looking for stuff in my bags, and that orange background makes it so easy to find. You know, VanQuest is offering fast shipping and a lifetime warranty. And if you act now, you can get 5% off by using the discount code EMWEEKLY, all capitals. VanQuest has the expertise to help you stay organized and prepared. And don't forget, VanQuest.com. And I got two updates. One is Titan HST actually has a COVID uh, or in, I guess any pandemic or any type of illness, uh, contact tracing, uh, which makes things automa- uh, automated for you guys to, to you know, trace who's sick and who's not and, and really kind of help save lives and, and keep your students and faculty uh, safe. Also, with the VanQuest gear, VanQuest, if you go to the website, VanQuest.com, and you put an EM Weekly, all capitals, in the, in the discount code, it's now 10% off. 10% off, and of course, uh, you know, let them know that you, you heard them here. So, everybody, welcome back. So, before we went to the break, you know, I kind of alluded to the idea that we want to talk about each academy and what the requirements are. So, so Dr. Garrett, tell me, tell me a little bit about each each academy and what the requirements are, how to get in. Okay, Todd, thanks. Uh, we'll start with the basic academy. Uh, the basic academy is an open enrollment program that consists of five courses starting with the foundations course, which as we mentioned earlier, uh, the first phase of the foundations course is 45 hours of independent study courses, uh, prerequisites that need to be completed prior to coming to phase two of the foundations course, which is 40 hours of resident instruction. Uh, Then we also have the science for disasters and emergency planning courses. The HC course is included included in the curriculum for the basic academy. And then we finish with the public information and warning program. 
Altogether, we're talking about 157 hours of study to complete and graduate from the basic academy. And the basic academy is really designed for people who are new to the emergency management profession or would have less than five years of experience as emergency managers. And that comprises about 65% of our student body, about 35% of our students still have greater than five years of experience, but they come to the academy simply because they're looking for opportunities to recertify with their CEM, or they're looking for some additional professional development, or they just want to get a different perspective on how they might be able to approach uh, responding to and managing disasters in their communities, depending on their role. Uh, The Advanced Academy consists of four weeks of uh, separate courses, We typically offer each course once a quarter, starting in October and running through uh, September of each fiscal year. There's 160 hours of classroom work included in the Advanced Academy. And the Advanced Academy is competency-based, and each week builds on the previous one. So we start with an assessment of individual competencies as an emergency manager. Then we move on for uh, building and functioning in teams as an emergency manager. Week number three focuses on leading emergency management organizations. And then the final week culminates in leading the emergency management profession. And one of the requirements for graduation for advanced academy students is the completion of a paper on a topic of their choice that is a challenge for the emergency management profession. Um, And then finally, we've got, and the advanced academy is designed for people with Uh, between five and 15 years of experience. And then the Executive Academy is four weeks, 128 hours of classroom uh, training. And that, again, is competency-based. Each course builds on the other, and that is competitive just like the Advanced Academy. So students need to apply for that. We have a selection panel that convenes every July and reviews all the applications. And then uh, we determine who would be assessed into uh, the academy in any given year. So I know with the academy, you know, especially with the, the advanced and the, and the executive, as you mentioned, you got to go through a selection process with your application. What would you recommend now, especially since we got several months before they potentially can even um, get into the next programs, what would you recommend that students start preparing for if they want to uh, attend the, the advanced or the executive and maybe potentially, um, um, the advanced, because I know the advanced offerings are now um, in states as well. So um, the difference between the two. Now, that's a good question too, Dan. Uh, the advanced academy we do offer on campus, as well as we do have some FEMA region and state-sponsored deliveries in the field each year in four different geographic regions. We use the same process in terms of student applications and selection for the field deliveries as we do for the on-campus deliveries. However, we allow the state training officer and their staff to to review those applications and make that selection uh, versus having our centralized selection panel at EMI, which is typically for the on-campus deliveries uh, alone. Now, we just did complete the, the selection panel for the fiscal year 21 courses. We're in the process of reviewing the recommendations of the selection panel and which students will be selected uh, because of the COVID-19. We're really not sure what the size of our cohorts are going to look like on campus next year or exactly when we'll be able to get started, but we'll work through that over the course of the next couple of weeks, and we'll be able to share that information before the end of uh, September. 
Um, so that's kind of the impact on, um, on the academies due to the COVID over the past few months. To prepare for next year, we'll start accepting applications actually for the fiscal year 2022 cohort, uh, probably starting March the 1st of next year. That's our typical application window from March through May. So for some, one who is interested in applying for the Advanced or Executive Academies, uh, I would recommend that they go to the training.fema.gov site and under uh, the main menu, look for the EMPP link and then look at applying to the academies uh, because it will indicate the types of documents that we're looking for, the responses to the uh, essay questions um, included in the application. Because most students that, that aren't selected either have an incomplete application or they've only given one or two sentence answers to the essay questions. And again, we're not looking for people to write a thousand words, but you know, a, a paragraph or six sentences of really explaining what value they can contribute to the profession by attending the academies and this experience that they could bring to share with everybody else in their cohort is really important in completing the application process. So as we alluded to a little earlier, and I, um, I know I just cut Todd off, but I want to allude to a little earlier that there's been a lot of changes that's taken place over the last um, five years and the, the academy's changed. And I know a lot of things changed, especially in the executive academy, as far as each course goes. It, can students apply and take academy more than one time? Uh, that's a great question, Dan. We've never had anyone repeat taking the academy as far as I'm aware but students can certainly apply multiple times if for some reason uh, they aren't selected uh, as part of the upcoming cohort. We will typically uh, try to get information from our selection panel as to why that student may have been put on the wait list or not selected for the final cut uh, so that we can provide them some guidance on how they can improve their application for the next time. But we certainly encourage students to apply uh, as many times as possible if they're really interested in getting into the academy. And, and by the way, everybody, those, the information on the academies um, and and training in general is in the show notes. So you don't have to worry about, uh, you know, if you didn't get to write down that note, if your pencil wasn't sharp, whatever those, just click on it in the, in the links down below. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for that point. Todd. That's a great point. Um, the other change that we made two years ago with the selection panel is we combined the Advanced and Executive Academy selection panel and convene them at the same time uh, because we found that we gain efficiencies that way. And we've had a number of students over the past three years that perhaps applied for the Advanced Academy, but uh, based on their background and experience and the quality of their application, seemed to be better suited for the Executive Academy and vice versa. We've had some folks that thought they should apply for the Executive Academy. And based on uh, the review of the selection panel felt that they'd be a better fit in the advanced academy. So the selection panel would then immediately contact those students and explain to them what the thought process was and see if they were willing to accept that cross recommendation. And we've been able to do that probably in about uh, a dozen and a half cases so far over the past few years. Uh, for full disclosure, uh, Daniel and I both uh, went to the executive academy um, and uh, learned a lot from, uh, from Dr. Garrett regarding you know, a lot of great stuff. It's, I highly recommend going. 
Um, I did not attend the basic or the advanced academy, so I can't really speak to that. But um, with the executive academy, I highly recommend going if you can get in there. Um, the people who I met were, were fantastic and outstanding. I'm friends with them to this day. Uh, we, we, we have um, a couple of uh, closed groups, one on Facebook and one on LinkedIn, where we still communicate with each other uh, and, and still learn from each other and still are able to get resources. So I do appreciate that alumni um, uh, aspect of it as, as well. Yeah, I, 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 yeah I've, been, I've been through all three. If that was about what you're going to say, Dr. I've, I've, <laughs> yeah, uh, I started, I started in the basic and, and, and I moved my way uh, through each one. And, and I'm a, I'm a big advocate for all of them. Um, and I promote them. I actually, uh, with myself and Dr. Garrett and a few others brought the basic academy to California. So that's how much I believed in it. And I still believe in it. And I'm going to continue to, 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 to promote it. And, um, I've got lifelong friends now that I've met in, in, the from the basic all the way through the advanced and executive uh, academies uh, dr garrett he's um he also not only is he the program manager of the emergency management program, uh, a professionals program, but he's also one of the instructors in the mm-hmm. executive. Uh, so, uh, you know, and, and that's where I met uh, Dr. Garrett. It was, it was uh, through the, the executive academy, uh, even though I had been through the others. Uh, so, uh, you, you never know who you're going to meet and who you're going to become lifelong friends with. But you're, the networking is one of the most important things that I got out of all the academies, and that's why I continue uh, to promote it, and it's why I continue to seek out courses, uh, especially at EMI. I want to say one more thing before I turn it back over to Dr. Garrett, but going to EMI, going to physically to Emmitsburg, Maryland, um, if you have not gone to that facility, it, you need to go. You know, it's it's going to be like being back in college or the or the military, whatever branch you're when you you know sleeping in the barracks or the dorms. That's that's part of the experience, right? But the being able to meet the people there, other classes that you get to meet people from. Um, you know, we were able to go on a guided tour of the battlefield of Gettysburg of somebody who is an expert in, in that. Uh, it was unbelievable. Some of those of other things outside of the classroom that you got to do bonding and learning uh, continuously there uh, throughout the entire thing. And it's just it's an atmosphere of learning. Uh, if you are a lifelong learner like I am, you'll, you'll experience the awesomeness there. There's a little library there if you want to doing research it's it's just this amazing facility as, as well uh dr garrett i'm gonna let you close out um you know kind of give yourself like a 30 second commercial you know you know why you think people should come to emi well thanks todd uh, we've really been intentional about evolving and developing the three academies in the emergency management professional program to serve as a uh, a continuum of professional development to meet the requirements for emergency managers throughout their career. Um, So we highly encourage anyone who is interested and serious about a career in emergency management to consider coming to the academies for all the reasons that you and Dan just mentioned, because the opportunity to build a network of, of peers and professional supporters to create a community of stakeholders that are dedicated to managing disasters and helping communities recover from the worst events that anyone could possibly experience in their lives is really a a high calling. And and we are very dedicated and committed to being able to support that in every day uh, that we offer our programs across the country. And um, it's, it's great to be a part of something bigger than yourself and to feel like you're really doing something that can make a positive difference for the better 
in everybody's lives. And that's really what drives all of us involved in the emergency management professional program. Absolutely. All right, everybody. Well, thank you so much for being Kelly. Thank you for taking time out of your day today. I, I know you have to run to a meeting real quick. Daniel, of course, it's always great to see you. And uh, for everybody else out there, thank you for joining us today live um, on EM Weekly. And don't forget, you know, please check us out on Facebook, YouTube, uh, your favorite podcast player, and also on Stitch Radio. And we'll see you all next week.